Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am thrilled to have Nathan Maynard and Brad Weinstein on the podcast. Nathan and Brad are the co-authors of Hack School Discipline, Nine Ways to Create a Culture of Empathy and Responsibility Using Restorative Justice. Nathan has been facilitating restorative practices for over 10 years in a wide range of educational settings. Currently, Nathan is serving as the Dean of Culture in a high school in Indianapolis, Indiana, blogger, presenter, and author. Brad served as principal for two years at an academy on the east side of Indianapolis. Before being a principal, Brad taught for 11 years, including roles as a coach and STEM department chair. Now, Brad is the Director of Curriculum and Instruction, blogger, presenter, author, and creator of Teacher Goals. Nathan and Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us. And as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and today I would love to discuss your initiative on restorative practices. And before we dive into that topic, will you both share your leadership journey and how you became an administrator? Yeah, so I started out um, working with at-risk children, youth mainly in the teenage area, through Carry Home for Children. That was in Tiffany County. Um, I started out as just a youth worker. And then after a while, I became the clinical case manager, so I got into a little bit of leadership there. Then I really wanted to jump into the education realm. So what I did was I went into a school called the Excel Center, which is an adult high school, and I worked there. I started out as a life coach, which is sort of like a guidance counselor. Then I moved up into the college career readiness coordinator role, Um, and then I became the lead life coach, which is similar to an assistant principal. From there... Um, I went to Purdue Polytechnic High School in Indianapolis. Um, That was opening up, and I was really invested in their mission. Um, They wanted to help underserved and underprivileged youth. So I became the dean of culture there, where I'm currently working. And Brad, if you don't mind answering the same question, what was your leadership journey, and how did you become an administrator? I started off um, in the classroom. I started off as a fourth grade teacher for a couple of years, but um, I kind of I kind of decided that they didn't quite get my sarcasm and joke, so I had to teach older kids um, after a while. So um, I moved up to the middle school level and taught science for nine years, and I got into coaching and I got into um, being the STEM department chair at the school, and realized that you know I wanted to make an impact not just in my classroom but on the entire school. So I um, went and got my administration license, and my first job was being the principal of an urban high school on the east side of Indianapolis, which was quite interesting um, because I came from a very affluent school in um, the northern part of the of the state. So um, when I went to Irvington for a couple of years, I got really interested in curriculum and really didn't have a whole lot of time to you know, really do what I was passionate about. So I applied to Purdue Polytechnic High School, the uh, network, and became their director of curriculum and instruction. From that position, I'll be able to impact a whole network of schools. And Nathan, in your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? Yeah, I think one of the most difficult skills to develop is how to communicate with all walks of life. Because at first, you, you think you know. You think you know how to communicate with everyone. You have your approach you come into a job, you just go for it. And then you learn, okay, hey, that leader, that uh, communication style didn't work. Let me try something different. And you sort of get just get the feedback from different people and you continue to iterate on that approach. And then you learn what the best style is. After doing that for quite a while, I learned that 
Um, I like to ask a lot of questions, open-ended questions, and sort of drive that conversation. So that's how I approach communication. Brad, as you transition from the classroom to an administrator, what was one of the biggest misconceptions as you moved into that new role? Um, the, one of the biggest misconceptions is just how much they have on their plate and how hard they work. And you kind of think, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just sitting up there in the office and you don't really realize that, you know, there's a whole lot of pressure on you in that role. And um, there's a whole lot of things that you have no clue are going on with students at the classroom level. So um, you, you don't know most of the things that are going on in the school and um, with students. So there's a whole lot of things that the administrators can't even talk about that I had no clue about when I was a teacher. And I had an opportunity to read your book, Hacking School Discipline, and absolutely love it. It's one of my new favorites. Usually I wait to talk about authors' books toward the end of the show, but this is a topic that's kind of a passion of mine, so I just wanted to kind of dive in. Nathan, um, for those who haven't had a chance to read the book yet, what's it all about? Yeah, we really um, dive into how to develop relationships with students and how to create a culture of empathy and responsibility. The way we do that is through restorative practices. And what we try to do is implement logical and restorative consequences, as well as any time a student is struggling, how to get them motivated through intrinsic motivation. We believe that the carrot and stick method for discipline just it, sometimes it creates change, but it's not lasting change. So what we want to do is really seek to understand those behaviors, and that's why we wrote the book on that. And so, Brad, for those who are starting their journey on this initiative with restorative practices, what are some first steps that an administrator can take? Some of the first steps that they need to kind of look at is clearly understanding and knowing the data of their school. So what needs to change? Basically, they look at their suspensions, their expulsions, the data that they're collecting. So you can't just say we need to change something unless you have the why behind it. You also need to look at staff buy-in. Because the great, I've seen the greatest programs in the world fail because it was a top-down decision, even though it was amazing. So it's really important to go and talk to your stakeholders, your teachers, your community members, um, all members of the school, even the students, and kind of th- kind of see, you know, what is working, what isn't working, what do you think about X, Y, and Z. So I would say buy-in is definitely the most important thing that you need to look into. So our book, we think, helps change that mindset because. It's not just for administrators, it's for teachers and what they can do. So you got to get people to think about something in a new and new way. People have been doing the same thing in the same way for a long period of time until something sparks a different kind of conversation. Yeah, and definitely I've experienced that myself um, when I was the dean of students in a, it was a Title I school. We definitely had a lot of suspensions. I got frustrated with the whole concept of in-school suspension or out-of-school suspension. I was really looking for something different. So Nathan, for those who don't even know what a restorative practice looks like, can you just kind of give some strategies? Yeah, so what restorative practices is, is when a student does some wrongdoing, it gives them a chance to repair the harm. Um, It's pretty much the simplest way to put it. So when anytime there's a wrongdoing in a class with another student, with a teacher, what we typically do is label that behavior, then dish out that consequence. We also use a lot of PBIS methods. Um, So we want to reinforce positive behaviors. What restorative justice does is says, what's driving this behavior? Let's seek to understand that behavior. And then let's still do a consequence, but just make sure that consequence is logical and restorative. And Brett, I know you all have been doing this for quite some time. When you first started, did you receive any criticism on your message? And if so, how did you work through that? 
it's something where um, people think that restorative practices are just conversations with kids and they get off the hook and nothing really happens to the kid. And then I want to point out that nothing should happen to the kid. What should happen is that we change the behavior and get the why behind the behavior. And there are consequences, as Nathan alluded to. So, for instance, if you throw food in the cafeteria, you know, what sense does it make to put a kid in detention or a suspension for that? When you repair the harm, it's a logical consequence. So the kid should go and talk to the cafeteria manager about, you know, what it means to them and then go and talk to the custodian. The custodian now has to stay longer after school and not go home to his family because he's cleaning up your mess. And then, you know, how do you repair the harm? How do you make it right? You have to go in and actually clean the cafeteria and work with the custodian the next day or the cafeteria manager. That's a whole lot more impactful than go sit in a room for an hour and think about what you did. Nathan, in restorative practices, is there an opportunity for students to have a voice in this initiative? Yeah, there's absolutely a chance for student voice in the initiative. What we want to do is include all stakeholders. And the reason why we include all stakeholders is to develop that empathy. When a student does wrongdoing, they, they affect multiple different people. And we want the students to understand who they affect. So the way that we let them know that is we ask the other teachers, the other parents, the other students, hey, how were you affected by this? What the person that was doing the wrongdoing happens is they understand where the other people are coming from, which develops that empathy. Brad, I want to give you an opportunity too. I know you all built a new program called Behavior Flip that kind of coexists with restorative practices. Will you just give us an opportunity to learn about that program? So a lot of programs out there are just measuring things like PBIS and positive and negative points in one bucket. So you gain 50 points, you lose 20 points, you gain 30 points. They don't actually target the actual behavior that students need coaching and work on. So our system is the first and only restorative practice app where students can repair the harm of their actions in the app and instead of gaining and losing points you just repair the harm and we have automatic triggered consequences if you do a certain behavior x amount of times you get an automatic notification as an administrator or a teacher that johnny needs help because he has been tardy five times in the last week so in a lot of times you just log a whole bunch of stuff and then nothing happens because it gets shot in the outer space and no one does anything with the data in our system, it's automated so that we get real-time interventions and real-time coaching with students. So it's re- it's really innovative in that it takes the guesswork out of you know the discipline process, and it also makes sure that no student falls in the crack. And um, what we do is we build in restorative tiered consequences. So for instance, the very first time a student shows a respect pattern, um, what we will recommend is that there's a one-on-one restorative conversation with the teacher where the student has to acknowledge what he did and come up with a plan for how the student's going to repair the harm. And the student actually gets that data themselves. So when you look at the student and you talk to the student, you know, discipline something that we do with you, not to you. And the student has their own data to look at and keep track of. So the next time I talk to a student about being tardy, you can actually on the app pull up what the student said he was going to do or she was going to do to fix that. And it's a lot more powerful when the student comes up with it versus the administrator. And Nathan, you both have kind of talked about restorative circles. For those who don't know what that practice is, we just kind of fill us in on what a restorative circle looks like. Yeah. So what a restorative circle looks like is when there's an issue in the classroom, um, the teacher would say, let's circle up. They would have those norms already established so that all the students would know what that would look like. Once they would circle up, the teacher would bring up the topic and say, hey, um, I've seen 
this disruptive behavior. And then they give the, uh, the rest of the students a chance to talk about what was going on. Um, a lot of teachers use talking pieces. So then it sort of creates that atmosphere of whoever's got that talking piece is the one that speaks. And then what the teacher does is just sort of facilitates that conversation instead of driving the classroom and saying, hey, I saw this negative behavior and this is the action I'm going to take. What the teacher does is just brings up the topic and lets the rest of the students talk about how they're going to address that behavior, what they're going to do and how they're affected by that behavior. When they state how they're affected by that behavior, that's the empathy piece, which we found drives that student that's causing that disruption to change that behavior for a last amount of time. Brad, now that you've done this for some time with restorative practices, what's kind of been the outcome on the campus from going kind of from the traditional practices to the restorative practices? What we're noticing is that students actually think about what they're doing more. There's less um, explosions and less reactivity to things. Um, there's more of a way for students to self-manage themselves because um, one of the biggest things for a student being successful in school that is even more important than IQ is the ability to self-regulate. So can a student actually control their actions and control their emotions and do they have the coping strategies and skills to deal with things that are tough? Because being a teenager is tough. What we've noticed is that skills that we need students to get with the social and emotional learning are actually being put into practice. When students get together in a restorative circle, Nathan or with the teacher, they actually know how to talk and how to work things out much better than they would have if they, you know, hadn't had this experience before. So students are learning to kind of advocate, you know, and understand and, you know, be empathetic with others a lot more than they would be in a traditional discipline model. And Nathan, what do you think is the largest barrier to the success of restorative practices on a campus? I, I think the largest barrier to that success is just making sure there's collaboration around issues. So let's say that one classroom is using restorative practices, another classroom is using the just referrals down to the office, one of the deans is using some restorative practices, another one of the deans is using some of that carrot stick method. I think when you have everyone consistent, that leads to more success with all the students. Um, I also think that, you know, just that investment in the time, one of my favorite quotes from Pam Leo, she talks about you either invest the time in correcting the behavior or you invest the time in giving the student love and caring and letting them know they're being heard. And that's really what restorative practices does. It allows the students to feel heard. It also seeks to understand what that behavior is. And then what we do is we see that that time invested into creating those changes is really worth it. Brad, I kind of want to transition back to just the topic of leadership. What do you believe are some characteristics that every leader should possess in a similar role? Every leader, just like we want to promote and restore to practices, needs to have an empathetic mindset. So how is what I'm doing impacting others and how are others taking in what I'm trying to relay here? They need to be a good collaborator. One of the things, as I mentioned before, is you need to get buy-in from anything that you're trying to do or trying to achieve. And they need to be a servant leader. You know, it's not about you. It's about everyone else and making the kids and the adults in the building, you know, the best they can be. So I would say it's just, you know, to try and remain humble and try and remain really in tune with what's going on in your building. Another big thing that you need to be is consistent and you need to consistently relay your message and your vision to your staff and your students and um, not waver in that mission. And Nathan, in addition to restorative practices, what is one initiative you've implemented on your campus that you're extremely proud of? Yeah, I think one of the initiatives that I've really implemented uh, at Purdue Polytechnic 
is really building relationships with every student. We really push all of our teachers, who we call coaches at Purdue Polytechnic, um, to build relationships with every student, not just the students in their classroom. What we find is the more relationships that the students have, the better that we see that they're invested into their overall success. We also really look at every student as a whole. We look at students and see what their basic needs are being met. Um, we use um, surveys sort of like the 40 developmental asset surveys, as well as looking at Maslow's um, hierarchy, just making sure that when a student comes into the school, it's not just about the academic success of that student, it's about the overall success. So we look at that student as let's build that relationship, let's get them holistically successful, and then let's get them to that higher level of thinking. Brad, in addition to you guys' admin position, you speak at conference, you blog, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your district? I learned a couple of years ago that, you know, I need to look outside of just my immediate environment because, you know, there are great people in every school, but they're within our school and they don't actually get out and see, you know, if there's people in Chicago doing great things, there's people in California doing great things. So I started getting really active on Twitter because I got inspired by other people. So I was very hesitant to join and get on, you know, a professional learning network. And I thought I knew a whole lot more than I actually did. And I broadened my horizons. So I started really posting quite a bit. I started getting into Twitter chats. I started really interacting with a lot of people. I started putting out my own posts and messages that seemed to uh, really resonate with people. So um, the bigger my, pers my personal learning network got, the more involved I got with Twitter. I would say that, you know, I'm very in tune with what's going on in the education world. And I want to point out world because there's things going on everywhere that inspire me that I would have never known about. Brad, I know you created teacher goals and that's on multiple platforms. Where did that idea come from? A few years ago, I would say five years ago, there was this big hashtag called like uh, squad goals or um, relationship goals. And, you know, it was supposed to be, you know, a picture of the perfect relationship or a picture of the perfect group of friends. So I thought, well, what about teacher goals? You know, what about really good teaching strategies or something that you're proud of as a teacher that you really want to promote? And then I went and I put put it into Twitter and the user handle was available. And I was really shocked by that, that no one had ever thought, hey, let's look at let's look at this kind of uh, thing or this kind of angle on teaching. So um, what it is, it's it's being, you know, funny. It's also being, you know, real about the struggles that teachers face, the frustrating parts but it also really promotes the fantastic part about teaching. So, you know, teaching is really rough and sometimes you need to laugh at things that are really hard, but sometimes you just need inspiration. So I'm hoping that my page really gets people to either laugh at, you know, something that is a difficult situation instead of crying, or we can get them to um, be inspired, you know, remind them of their why, why am I a teacher? Why am I here? And also it's a way to inspire people to think differently and to try new ideas. And Nathan, obviously you both found your voice in this new book, Hacking School Discipline. What was the pathway for you both to come together to write this book? So I started out, I was one of the founding members um, at Purdue Polytechnic High School. Brad came in during our um, end of our first year. When Brad first came in, and he had this awesome spreadsheet um, that he was tracking behaviors at Irvington High School with. So him and I, and, and I've been doing restorative practices for about 10 years now. I got trained through the International Institute of Restorative Practices. So I'm a really big fan of those practices. I really believe in the work with them. You know, So he brought in this awesome spreadsheet, and I was like, hey, let's use that spreadsheet, but let's put some restorative practices in it. 
So Brad and I started talking together with that. Um, we quickly found that there's some other schools around Indianapolis that, you know, that I've been working with trying to get restorative practices involved with that heard about this spreadsheet. So then Brad and I were like, hey, let's, you know, we, we've really got a pretty cool idea here with the restorative practices, with discipline and what that looks like. We started seeing a lot of success um, at our high school when we were working together. Um, so Brad knew Mark Barnes, the publisher of Hack, the Hack Learning series. And we decided to have a little bit of a conversation with Mark and told him about our goals around discipline. And Mark loved the idea. So with our passion about restorative practices, our passion around, you know, helping every student be successful in school, we, you know, came up with a book. And Brad, in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? The most enjoyable is seeing the impact on kids. So um, it's really hard because you don't get to see or have the same relationship with kids because you're not in the classroom with them every day. But when you start to see school-wide success and you start to see, you know, happy and positive kids and happy and positive teachers, that's the best possible outcome that, you know, kind of tells you that what you're doing as an administrator is working. Because there are some schools where the administrator um, causes the doom of the entire school. And there are some schools where they're great schools because the administrator, you know, helps cultivate that positive environment. So one of the best things you can see is students and staff laughing, having a good time but also being successful. So you have to have that balance between an atmosphere that is, you know, very loving, but not, you know, everyone is goofing around and not really trying very hard. So once you see people having fun and being successful, that's the ultimate goal. And Nathan, for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? I think make sure when you're first starting your leadership journey that you need to give everyone a voice around you. There's a lot of people that you may not initially recognize or see their skills, but everyone adds such a great component to a team. So just look at everyone as just something that, you know, will add to the rest of the team. Brad, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? They, they can follow me. Um, I actually have too many accounts, but I, the main one I use is at teacher goals. That is my kind of, you know, broad global teacher account. Um, you can also follow me at Weinstein, W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N-E-D-U. And then we also run our Behavior Flip Twitter account, which is at Behavior Flip. And Nathan, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn are my two biggest um, platforms right now, um, as well as they can connect with me at Nathan at BehaviorFlip.com. You know, if there's anyone that wants to talk about restorative practices, success in their schools or issues, I love to collaborate around that. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast, and if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Nathan, Brad, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.